You're listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. Hosted by Rev Yearwood, Mustafa Santiago Ali, and me, Antonique Smith. Each week, we host important conversations with innovators, policymakers, cultural influencers, and movement leaders who are leading the way to a 100% clean energy and just world. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Man, I'm excited today. Welcome to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. I'm Rev here with President and CEO of the Hip Hop Caucus. And I'm Mustafa Santiago Ali, Vice President of the Hip Hop Caucus. You know, welcome to our show that delivers real talk on climate change and environmental justice. No sides, just the facts and stronger communities. I like that. I like that. Uh, thank you to WPFW for hosting us here in the studio and also for some of our supporters, the League of Conservation Voters, uh, the Union of Concerned Scientists. And, man, there's so many other friends, I mean, out there in the movement who have been supportive of us in this show. I uh, think 100% the coolest show on climate change. Just a big thank you to you and especially to all of our listeners um, who have made this show a success so far and who have tuned in each week. We love you all. And be sure to check out the show's blog at think100.info and follow us online at think100show and also at hashtag think100. And make sure that you also submit your questions now using hashtag think100. So, Mustafa, I'm excited about this week, and I know this is our time for our shout-outs. What's going on in the climate movement? You got any for us this week here? Well, we got some things that we want people to continue to pay attention to. So we know everyone has been focusing on Scott Pruitt, the EPA administrator. We also want you to focus on his number two, Andrew Wheeler, um, who just recently uh, took his position. We want you to pay attention uh, to some of the decisions that are going to be made because he comes out of the coal lobbying industry and also as an attorney in that space fighting for fossil fuels. You mean he came out of the clean water and clean air industry? Uh, No, he did not come out of clean water or clean (laughs) air. We're trying to keep it that way, but unfortunately... Uh, his previous work uh, was moving us in the wrong direction. Oh, so man. we just want to make sure that people are paying attention to that. And as we are paying attention to that, let's continue to focus also uh, on the work that's happening around the clean car standards. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, we welcome you. But we also want you to pay attention that, um, you know, when President Obama and others work diligently to make sure that the clean car standards, those cafe standards were in place, they're trying to make sure that you get better mileage from your cars, making sure that there are less impacts going on into the environment. And we currently have an administration who's trying to move us in a negative direction in that space. So we want you to pay attention to that as well. We also want you to continue to stay engaged in the Boot Pruitt campaign. Okay, now what's that? Now the Boot Pruitt campaign is saying that the current administration at the Environmental Protection Agency, Administrator Scott Pruitt, um, has not been living up to the mission or the mandate of the agency and has actually been doing a number of things, both ethically and in policy, that moves our country backwards and not forwards. Mm. So there are 
hundreds of thousands of people across the country who are saying that if you can't do your job right, then somebody else should be sitting in that chair who actually cares about public health and the environment. And that is the Boot Pruitt campaign saying he's right. got to go. So we're very, very excited about that. But we're also, Rev, excited about the guests that we have today. We know their commitment in this space. And they are tied to some of the other shout-outs that we're going to give. So in North Carolina, we want to give a shout-out to the state of North Carolina, but also to those environmental justice champions who have been fighting all the way since Warren County, North Carolina, in the late 80s to today, uh, fighting for clean air, clean water, uh, to be free of the impacts that happen from hog farms and other. Give us a 10 second on what's Warren County. Uh, Warren County, North Carolina is the flashpoint for the environmental justice movement. It's where those PCBs were placed on a roadway. They had to find a, a community and a landfill where they could place those. And they chose the African-American community instead of seven other locations that better fit the needs uh, for something like that to be. So that was the flashpoint. And that was a number of decades ago now. So we have evolved. It's a slow evolution, but we are evolving to a place where the voice of communities can be a driver in both state and federal policy. Um, and I'm so happy that the state of North Carolina realized that they needed to have an environmental justice task force in place to help mm. them to make the right decisions. So we definitely want to give it up to them. And Rev, I know you want to talk a little bit about the Global Climate Action Summit I do. as well. I just want to make sure that folks in North Carolina today is also primary. So get out there and vote. Make sure your voice is heard. I know as many, about four or five states around North Carolina, Ohio, and other spots around the country. Um, you know, we have to have, if you want folk to respect your vote, you have to vote and get out there and make that happen. So definitely for all of our listeners across the country, um, if you've already voted today, I uh, saw my sister Bree Newsom. She had a little, her I voted sticker. So all those good folks around the country who are voting, that is phenomenal. If you need to vote and you need to register to vote, please go to respectmyvote.com and we can make sure we'll take care of you there. But in that mindset, there is a Global Climate Action Summit that's coming up that we're going to be talking about a lot, Mustafa, mm -hmm. um, in the next few months. It will be happening um, actually in San Francisco, California, um, in uh, September um, really it's the 14th, really like the 12th through the 14th, but it's really a whole week. I think the 8th, um, there will be a huge coming march. There will be another marches throughout the week. Um, a lot of folks are coming. We really feel that this opportunity that's happening um if folks don't know about i'm still in regarding the paris accords many know are we had a, a wonderful situation where countries opted into the paris accord agreement and then when the current administration got into office they opted out of the paris accord agreement which is which was really i think at the time it was this us in syria maybe um now i think this us so it wasn't like it was some grand thing to do but the Global Climate Action Summit was happening in San Francisco will be a major moment um, for our people. And then, um, as you know, myself and Mustafa will be tra traveling a lot. Mustafa, I know he's going to Vermont. He didn't put in a shout-out, but you got to say what you're doing in Vermont, Mustafa. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so, you know, so thankful to the environmental justice family and all those who have been focusing on our issues over the years. So I will be the keynote at Vermont Law School during their uh, commencement weekend. Right now. Um, and I'll be receiving an honorary doctorate. Hold up there. there. All right. Now. I like 
Yes, yes. Dr. Yeah. Ali's in the house. Well, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways, as my mama would say. <laughs> and then uh, on Saturday, I'll be the commencement speaker at Green Mountain College, uh, a college that is extremely focused on the issues that we talk about here on our show, uh, sustainability, um, on environmental justice, climate-related issues. So I'm, I'm just so honored and blessed. And then I'll also be receiving a doctorate while I'm there at Green Mountain College. Right. You're, you're getting two. Well, yeah. you know. Come on now. Come I don't on. know you made brothers getting two doctorates. Well, I, I just want to give all honor and glory, one, of course, to the Lord, but also back to those leaders in the environmental justice movement, the yeah. civil rights movement, and others who raised me over the years. So thank you well, all. They did, this they, is they for did, you. They did all right because I tell you, that, that's a blessing, man, I tell you. So, good folks, you hear, you hear me start saying in the future, Dr. Ali, it is for our own Mustafa Santiago Ali here on the coolest show on climate change. Uh, Mustafa, this week, I'm actually headed to Alaska. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, I'm going there with my dear brother, Mark. Uh, I hope, uh, you know, I hope to be back from Alaska. I hope you do, too. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to go there to protect the Arctic. That's really important. And shout out to our Gwich'in uh, nation up there, the indigenous community who's been fighting so hard. Um, in that part of the world, so I can't wait to see them in that regard. But let's hop right into this, because we have an amazing congressman here joining us now in the studio, is the United States congressman who represents the 3rd District in Arizona and currently serves as the ranking member of the House Committee on Natural Resources. I can tell you he's an amazing, and my mama like to hear me say that word, he's an amazing progressive leader who continues to fight tirelessly for the health of our communities and the future of our planet. We invited him to discuss how we can win on progressive values and learn more about his work protecting public lands and clean water. Here he is, our good friend, uh, Congressman Raul Grajava. My brother, welcome. Thank you very much, Reverend. It's good to be here with you and uh, have a chance to chat with your listeners and uh, also with you and the good doctor um, <laughs> uh, about, uh, about the issues that I think uh, impact uh, the, ma- the vast majority of people, not only in the United States, but in the world. And, uh, and the fact that sometimes these issues are put on the back burner of, of mm-hmm. policy, back burner of political discourse, mm-hmm. and and the activism around these issues uh, sometimes uh, ignored. And 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 I uh, I think uh, the examples that you used uh, today, uh, the shout outs are very important because communities on their own are taking control of what is happening, the dynamics around them. And unfortunately, you know, it's poor people, it's communities of color mm-hmm. uh, that end up uh, having to endure uh, the degradation that comes from uh, uh, less less enforcement, no regulations uh, in terms of uh, the pollution, the contamination that's going on around their communities. Mm-hmm. Well, Congressman, as everyone knows, I am a huge, huge fan of yours. And, and, of course, the podcast that you have, which is extremely educational. But recently, you dropped some serious knowledge on folks in that Washington Post uh, article that you shared with the country. Um, and I know that many of the uh, ideals that you talked about in there resonate with folks across the country. You talked about uh, a progressive values. You talked about equity. Um, and could you sort of break that down for, uh, for folks about uh, your vision uh, moving forward on those issues? You know, that I, I came to progressive politics not out of a theoretical base. I came out of it as part of life experiences as you go through things. 
And when something's unfair, it's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people are busting their hump to get ahead, and they work hard, harder than most, and they're still not getting ahead. Uh, my dad killed himself working hard to make sure we had stuff. Uh, to, uh, and yet, you know, he never made more money than he started out making. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at some point, the relationship between power and these decisions became pretty obvious to mm-hmm. me. And I think in the environmental movement, it's the same thing. It's the, the Much of the policy is driven by accommodation to power, mm-hmm. so we can't go too far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so I think for communities that, uh, that, need, that need the protection, they're having to take it upon themselves to provide that protection. And actually, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. The community organizing and activism that is going on in communities across this country are important. Indigenous people in Latin America, they get murdered for, for representing their communities. Mm-hmm. And yet, we can't go too far because we have to be careful with the fossil fuel industry, so we can't go too far in protecting. We can't really regulate the full Im- impact of toxic emissions in, in some neighborhoods because of dump sites. Mm-hmm. The, the list goes on. And they're in communities that there's a perception that they don't have enough political power to really affect what we're going to do, so we'll do it anyway. Once I, that lesson became more and more understood by me, you could make the connection to conservation. You can make the connection to public lands and then the umbrella of climate change, which is a consequential issue that's right. coming upon us. The latest study said that it's even worse than you thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and who's that going to affect? The, the poorest of the poor and the poor people are the first ones going to be hit because they have no way even to remediate or take care of themselves like others that have more. And I think that organizing around these issues is very important. And so what's going on with this administration is to continue to undercut even more mm-hmm. the limited protections and access to power that these communities have. Coming up uh, is is an opportunity to reassert that power because it's the, the thing about a democracy is that numbers count. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Money runs it now, but numbers count. And this election is going to be about numbers. Mm-hmm. If you're tuning in, you're listening to Hip Hop Caucus. Think 100% the coolest show on climate change. We are here with the congressman from Arizona, Raul Grajalva, who is here. Somebody just mentioned his article that he wrote. People are just, just, they're just getting into. Um, if you missed it, it is, was in the Washington Post at the end of April. The title was Be Progressive. Democrats, not merely liberal. I actually want to read a section of that, Congressman, because I think you mentioned something. And we, I think we, as Mustafa always mentioned, want to have some real talk uh, in in this conversation. And what you stated, uh, one of the parts in your in the article that you mentioned, you said, "quote Power comes in many forms: economic, cultural, political." And in our view. Too few people have wielded power throughout American history. This imbalance has hurt millions of hardworking families who haven't gotten a raise in years. It has also hurt our neighbors, the old American political consensus ignored or forgot about. And let's not forget, they work too and also haven't gotten a raise in years. Any politics that accepts such harmful, powerful imbalances or denies some Americans their full rights in the name of moving cautiously is not liberalism, 
It's conservatism that doesn't want to admit what it is. End quote. Woo! Congressman, tell me, who, who are you speaking to in this article? I was reacting to uh, an, uh, another opinion piece that uh, preceded this one where basically saying, you know, progressives are going too far. Stop talking about this. Find that middle ground. Let's work on consensus. And, uh, and, it's, and, and it struck me that here we go again. We haven't learned the lessons, recent lessons in political life here, that that kind of milquetoast approach to the urgencies in this, in this country and to the cynicism of the American voter to their lack of faith and trust in their leadership uh, that produces uh, aberration like Trump, that, that here we go again with that same failed strategy that if we tiptoe through the political discourse that somehow we're going to survive. And we have the history showing us that's not true. And, and, and the issue about power is that it's uh, the benefit of power economically and politically is in the last decade and a half, in two decades has been concentrated in fewer fewer people that's right and fewer fewer uh institutions in this country and not to recognize that i think struck me as uh, hypocritical and well i think what i also said in that was that you know uh, progressive politics is the uh, the american people with progressive issues they back it they the american people know there's climate change and want something done about it and want facts the american people know that there's income inequality and that they're stuck in, in some rut that they can't get out of, that opportunity has shrunk for them and their families. The American people know that Wall Street and corporate America is, uh, is not protecting their interest and gaining, and gaining more and more power and richness as a consequence to that. And the list goes on. Those were the, a while back were considered far left extremist positions that some people are taking. I hate to break it to the people that haven't gotten it Break yet. it to them. Break it to them. It's mainstream now. It's Come on, ma now. Mainstream yes, America is saying this. Yes, sir. Uh, across all color lines and, uh, and not to accept that in this November, it is not simply about walking a tightrope and being delicate. The, the American people are going to want some boldness. That's right. Mm -hmm. The American people are going to want some urgency mm -hmm. to their issue. Mm -hmm. And I don't want us to miss the boat. Uh, the fact that this president has no checks and balances. It's frightening. Mm -hmm. We saw it today with pulling out of the deal. Mm -hmm. We see the fact that they've ignored uh, science and fact. Tell the folks what deal you're talking about. The Iran okay. nuclear uh, ban treaty, essentially. And, and, and it's been verified that no activity was going on and there was dismantling. But still, mm -hmm. uh, for, for political reasons, here we are isolating ourselves as a country and further aggravating the potential for violence and war in, in regions across this country. Dangerous. Mm -hmm. And uh, on the question of the environment, you have Pruitt and Zinke. They're supposed to be the bastions of taking care of mm -hmm. our, uh, our natural resources and our public health. Mm -hmm. And uh, Pruitt, to me, uh, is the most corrupt member of that cabinet. Mm -hmm. And uh, there he is. And why is he still standing? Because the interest that he's emboldening, protecting, and enriching uh, uh, those energy conglomerates, those uh, those chemical companies, the list goes on, uh, are getting what they want. Well, you know, Congressman, the League of Conservation Voters uh, recently gave you a 100 
on their community's first scorecard. Um, I, I, I had a hard time getting 100 when I was in school, um, but it's great that you are, you know, I, you know, folks listening to you today have an understanding why uh, you rank so highly uh, on that scorecard and the commitment that it takes in that space um, to stand up uh, for what is right. Um, so I'm curious to hear from you um, as the ranking member of the Natural Resources Committee um, about your concerns or visions for uh, clean water and public lands underneath of this new administration. My biggest concern is that they have no concern. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no values attached to any of what you just asked. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it is, uh, it's seen as a commodity. You know, people's health, if somebody can make some money off of it, then it becomes a commodity you trade and give. Our public lands, the most precious that we need to protect, mm -hmm. habitats, species, if there is an extraction that produces a profit, then those go by the wayside. Mm -hmm. That's the concern that, of which there is none. And, and the jeopardy out of EPA is all life, mm -hmm. and in particular, in this question, human life. Mm -hmm. That's who's being jeopardized with no clean. clean. We, we don't have the clean, we have the clean air and clean water laws because of what happened. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a retreat going on. The mountaintop removal, that study to see the impact on, on life, they suspended that study as mm -hmm. soon as they got into office. And so the list goes on and on. And so for me, it is uh, the biggest challenge, and the best I can say it, is keeping the worst from happening. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you feel like you're that Dutch boy putting your <laughs> finger in one <laughs> hole of dike and after another, <laughs> but that's the reality. And and we've got we got nimble fighters and, and that that are doing that, and and that's good. But we have to check it. Mm -hmm. And 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 one of the things coming up is the opportunity to create a balance in Congress and to check this administration, mm -hmm. to hold them accountable. Uh, we've asked Zinke 123 requests for information, all of them ignored. Mm. That's just the arrogance of it. Uh, if if there was a different situation, we're in the majority, there's another little thing that comes with that. It's called subpoena power, mm -hmm. and then you have to produce it. And, and then accountability and oversight return to the table. You know, Obama was president, he would do something. There would be massive investigations about uh, anything he was doing, and particularly on the environmental side and the interior. And uh, here uh, we see the, what happened with the monuments, Bears Ears, mm -hmm. Staircase, and others, uh, Bears Ears in particular. Who are the stakeholders? Mm -hmm. What was the process? Mm -hmm. Nothing. Uh, and uh, I think this whole bending over backwards for industry at the expense of the health uh, of the public and bending over to the industry for extraction at the expense of uh, multi-use and preserving some of our beauty and sustainability for the future mm -hmm. around the issue of climate change. Uh, that's what, what I want to get back to. Mm -hmm. And because uh, they're going to do some harm. That's right. Yeah. They're going to do some harm and they're doing it now. And it's going to take, it's going to take a real effort on, on, on good people's part to turn that around and then to try to fix it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why Congressman, I was so happy for your, your article. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. We have in the studio Congressman Raul Guajalva, and we're discussing the article he wrote, Be Progressive Democrats, uh, Not Merely Liberal. And it was really talking about just how ideas that were once uh, considered 
out there are now the main, one of the key things for us and people of color, like civil rights, <laughs> um, you know, segregation was considered the norm. And thank God that there was folks who fought for that, marriage equality, so many other issues regarding climate change, clean air, clean water. Cogsman, but this is the thing. So let me just ask you this question here, because, you know, one thing for me, as you know, I am not uh, caught up into uh, it being about Republican or Democrat. I'm fighting for humanity. Gotcha. Um, and so that's, this, that, that's what this is about for me. And you mentioned it quite clearly in regards to those who are most impacted um, by climate change are those who are the poor and communities of color. Uh, who are the ones who suffer. Uh, we see it in Flint. We saw it in Standing Rock. We see it in Alabama with Coash. We see it in North Carolina with the pig farms. We see it all over this country. And it really means life or death for people. This is the thing here, and you mentioned this, because the thing for me is that I have seen so many who are, you know, both liberal or conservative, you know, play this politics and they play it with people's lives. This is the thing I want to ask you, though, in particular for those who say they are want to be climate leaders. Uh, this is for some of your colleagues, actually, uh, or, or maybe not for some of your colleagues, it's whoever, really. The thing for me is that how can you say you're a climate leader when you're discussing uh, renewables on Monday but fracking on Wednesday? How can you say you're a climate leader when you're talking about solar on Tuesday, but by Friday, you're talking about, you know, above ground and fossil fuels and everything. As you mentioned in your article, we need big solutions and we have a time clock. What can really be done when we're saying that we have to have, you know, be 100 percent renewable by 2050? What can we do in Congress to get them to understand what's at stake in regards to climate change, not only for their constituents, but for the entire planet? Exactly. And I think that on this issue, incrementalism is not going to work. And and I think what Congress can do is, is help facilitate the speed and the urgency of this. Environmental justice, okay? Communities impacted, communities that, as I said earlier, the perception is they have no power when, when in fact they do. And so I think we can facilitate it. We, you know, we, we can put it, not just codify President Clinton's environmental justice order, mm -hmm. but add some strength to it so that people in those communities can use this legislative tool in federal law to defend themselves, hmm. to push Mm -hmm. other leadership that doesn't want to go there. Then it becomes a facilitation tool that's necessary, as we did in the 60s and 70s with other environmental issues that arose. But this is this time now. And the other thing is to uh, to look at the issue of climate change and environmental equity, not just in uh, not just as a theoretical exercise, mm. that, that this is real people, real impacts. Mm -hmm. And as I challenge many people, get to know. I, I got started in this because we're fighting a TCE contamination in my neighborhoods where I grow up and mm -hmm. still live. And it polluted the water. People got cancer and everybody said, oh, it's, you know, it's your diet. That's mm -hmm. what's wrong with you. It's nothing to do with bad water. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it organized a community, raised the level of awareness, and we were able to, to win that one. Also, NEPA, strengthen NEPA, protect it, because mm -hmm. again, a tool that people can use. And I think initially on the issue that you just asked is to strengthen those legislative vehicles and where they don't exist to create them so that we empower 
people in these communities to have the tools to be able to fight back. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mustafa, also, I want to give you a question, but before you get to your question, tell us what NEPA is. The National Envi- Environmental Policy Act. Um, it's super critical, especially when folks are talking about uh, infrastructure. You hear that conversation all the time. Without NEPA being in place, without there being those environmental impact statements uh, that help folks to have a better understanding of what may be coming, what the impacts may be, and also helping them to get engaged in that process uh, is super critical. Uh, and unfortunately, we have a current administration who is trying to weaken uh, or eliminate NEPA if mm. they could. Um, and it will have direct impacts on all of the folks in our country, but definitely on our most vulnerable communities where many times, um, you know, infrastructure is being built, whether we're talking about roads or bridges or a number of other types of facilities also that could fall underneath of that definition. So we have to pay attention to what's happening in that space. And the uh, Council for Environmental Quality has a responsibility uh, for leading that conversation. Of course, they're out of the White House. And Councilman Harbour, what does that mean when you hear about these regulations? We hear about it all the time. We have a little bit of conversation within our own uh, house and hip-hop with, with Kanye mentioned, get rid of all regulations. And I mean, if you haven't seen Mustafa's, please go to his Twitter at EJ in Action. Um, he had a great response for that about why the regulations are so important. But the weakening of regulations means what for people not only in Arizona, but around the country. What does that mean, Congressman? Some fundamental safety and health protections, first of all. Mm-hmm. But I think it also it undercuts when you get rid of NEPA, some of the regulatory uh, protections that are out there, some of the rules that, that industry has to work under. When you get rid of those or you weaken them or you expedite them, uh, what you also do is that the biggest strength is information, and you've now denied the public's right to know. Mm-hmm. And by them not knowing, then then any other tool available to them is not there. And and I, I think the public's right to know is essential, and disclosure is essential. Fracking. Why can't we have some regulatory thing? Tell us what chemicals you're putting into the mm-hmm. into this fracking process, and all the companies say, oh, no, that's proprietary. That's a trade secret. <laughs> mm-hmm. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. there's damage being done consequentially across. Uh, those areas in which it occurs. And just let me add this real quickly as, as we're about to close out. Uh, Congressman, I always thought it's really interesting that this administration wants to open up uh, science um, to those public health and those medical documents that are part of sort of the overall policy, but they don't want to also open up the door to the information you just talked about in the fracking context. That's a really good point. Congressman, I want you, we have people listening from all over, over the country who are listening to Think 100% the coolest show on climate change. And as we close, um, you know, we have a lot of young people who are tuning into this show. Uh, for those young people, particularly those millennials and Gen Z, 18, 17, you know, literally for them, climate change literally means life or death for their generation. They come of age. If, if you could speak to them right now and just give them a little sound bite from not, get- just, not just as Congressman Grohava, but just as somebody who took up this mantle to fight for them. If you could speak to the folks in the third district in Arizona, particularly those young people, would you tell them something right now? Well, there's two things. Uh, uh, some, something that a high school student uh, from Parkland said during their fight on, uh, to, on gun violence and what happened and the tragedy and that happened there, uh, a, a preventable tragedy, one might add. As young people, 
Uh, this is not a lecture. This is just a suggestion. You have to think that the future is now, mm. that it's not mm-hmm. two months away, that it's not a year away, that it's now. Because the uh, urgency, climate change being the issue that we're talking about is, is getting worse and aggravating. And your quality of life, your, your ability to do uh, what you want to do individually, you're going to have this other end climate change beginning to affect those. So the future is now. And there's a, uh, an own, a Native American proverb. That's the, uh, I guess this would be my political comment. Great Native American proverb where it says, never go to sleep while your meat's on the fire. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I, would, I would end by saying the meat's on the fire and we mm-hmm. can't be asleep. Man, Congressman, thank you so much for being with us here on Hip Hop Caucus, Stick 100%, the coolest show on climate change. And now with us in the studio, we have another amazing guest. Mustafa? We have Dr. Sakobi Wilson, uh, incredible, incredible environmental justice advocate, scientist, uh, truth teller, fire speaker. So we are extremely blessed right uh, to have you with us today, brother. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to having this conversation about climate justice, environmental justice, and this upcoming symposium on Saturday, uh, May 12th. Let's hop right into it. Well, you mentioned the symposium. You know, that's like, obviously, that's a very important piece. Tell folks, first of all, where do you teach? So I teach at the University of Maryland College Park in the School of Public Health, Maryland Institute for Applied Environmental Health. This semester, I've been teaching a course in the built environment, but my main course is really on environmental justice. And so before we get into the symposium, so if you're sitting before your students, and so we're going to give some folks some free credit all across the nation, 101, <laughs> first day of class right here, what is environmental justice? So environmental justice, is, it's a social movement. It's basically, social justice movement is basically the merger of the civil rights movement, environmental movement, uh, for me, the environmental justice movement really started in 1492. Mm. All right. You know, you think about indigenous peoples in this country. You can go back to slaves in the fields using arsenic, right, mm-hmm. as a pesticide. You can go, you can move forward to the work of Du Bois and look at that segregation. So there's been environmental injustice in this country for a long time. You think about contemporary times, environmental justice, you know, is really coming out of Dr. King's work. Over a month ago was the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's assassination. So if you think about his work in Memphis, the sanitation worker strike, he was talking about labor issues, environmental issues, health issues. For those of you who may remember, may not remember, there were black men walking around with signs, I am a man. And that's very important today because we have black men being treated less than human, right? And so environmental justice is about people's humanity. But the fact that many people dehumanize because they're left to host environmental hazards and locally and one land uses. You go from incinerators, chemical plants, mm. gas fire facilities. Don't call them natural gas. Because mm. why is it natural gas? One of the fossil fuels, mm. dinosaurs, one thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so gas fire facilities. That's right. Right? Coal fire plants. You got in the eastern shore of Maryland, chicken farms. I tell people all the time I speak about chicken farms. Chicken's my favorite fruit. Don't get it twisted. 
<laughs> but the issue is how we raise those animals and the fact that those pollutants, voltagetic compounds, ammonia, hydrogen sulfide, they impact human health. You got nutrients can impact people's water supply because most people who live in their chicken farms are on well water. So you got kids could be exposed to nitrates and have blue babies disease. They could be exposed to microbes that impact human health. You can go down to North Carolina, then you got hog farms. And you think about the, the environmental justice movement in North Carolina, that's where it started. But this movement's been moving forward because a lot of folks like Naima Muhammad, Gary Grant, Dr. Steve Wing, the professor, uh, the, the, uh, uh, you know, some professors, uh, he was a professor who worked for science for the people. He was a people's professor. Mm-hmm. Their work on, on hog farm issues. You look at other issues, looking at mining and how it impacts indigenous peoples. You look at mining, how it's impacting folks in Appalachia. So the thing about environmental injustice is the fact that some communities, due to their race class, due to geography, due to immigrant status, due to other factors, are overburdened by these hazards. And so the thing is, you can have environmental racism. We're going to dump on you because you're black. We're going to dump on you because you're Latino. You have environmental classism. We're going to dump on you because you're poor. And the part of the problem is your economic power equates to political power. And once you get dumped on once, you get dumped on twice. Once you get dumped on twice, you get dumped on three times. So think about places like Curtis Bay in Baltimore. They fought against the incinerator, Destiny Wofford, a few years ago. But the problem was they already had a lot of toxic uh, hazards in that community. At one point in time, they were ranked the most toxic zip code in the U.S. based on a toxic release inventory for air toxins, so pollutants into the air. And they fought and won against the incinerator. So when you think about environmental injustice, we're talking about economic injustice. We're talking about political injustice. We're talking about cultural injustice. We're talking about public health injustice. So the movement is for justice, for social justice, for economic justice, for public health justice. And what we find is many communities that have these hazards, they get dumped on. They get used to host those externalities. They get used to host that landfill. So it's not just environmental injustice. It's not just, in some cases, environmental racism like Flint. Let's talk about Flint real quick. Flint, the intersection of race, class, place, hazards, vulnerability, and visibility. Come the, on in, now. the invisibility Come on started now. Come on now. when you had Governor Snyder apply the emergency manager law. And the fact that the people voted in that mayor and that town council and the emergency manager took the power away from the people. Took the power away from the people. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of environmental racism. But really what it is, when communities are hosting these hazards, hosting these toxic facilities, it's environmental slavery. And mm. what I mean by environmental slavery, you basically not only you're using the ecosystems, you're not only using my air, you're not only using my water, you're not only using my soil to absorb toxicants, you know, combustion byproducts. You're using my body to absorb those toxicants. You could be a pregnant woman and you're developing fetus is being exposed to toxicants through the placenta. You could be a mother breastfeeding, and your baby could be exposed to those toxicants because you're in a community with a lot of pollutants. You could be a neighborhood that's hosting the highway and all that traffic that comes to your community. Think about all that traffic. Some of you in Ward 7 and Ward 8, some of you who live in D.C., some of you who live in Prince George County, Maryland, some of you who live in L.A., Chicago, Atlanta, man, I forget Atlanta and all that traffic. Those highways come to your neighborhoods. Think about all the pollutants in the air. Think about your kid who has asthma. Maybe the asthma attack that kid, your kid had was due to those pollutants. We're talking about things like particulate matter, dust in the air, right? You breathe that in, and it impacts your health. Particulate matter, dust in the air, it could cause asthma. 
asthma attacks. It can cause stroke. It can cause Alzheimer's. It can cause heart disease. It can elevate your blood pressure. And for those who don't know what particulate matter is, what is that? Dust in the air. Small particles. So if you see you have a car mm-hmm. driving by and it's burning fossil fuel, it's that smoke. And if you breathe in that smoke, you got those small particles, those small dust particles. It gets into your lungs. Mm-hmm. And what's really bad about particular matter, that dust in the air, it's not just the, the dust itself. It's the things it brings along with it. Mm. Is that that 2.5 they talk about? That's Dr. that Wilson? 2.5 microns. So that's, you know, 2.5 microns. That's smaller than a strand of hair. Mm-hmm. And so those things that get deep into your lung. But it's, like I said, they're friends that can take with it. Metals like lead. So think about... Children for a second. Let me let me let me take the stage for a while. Come on, come on. Children hey, for a second. Hold on. If y'all just tune in, man. Dr. Zacoby Wilson just came out the gate. Now he just he just he just he just landed down. I said go to class and he going to class. I I, I want to stop right back. Go ahead, Doc. Go ahead. Wait, wait, wait. Did he take over the game like LeBron did? No, come on. Listen, LeBron too. Listen, listen, he came out the gate. Doc, keep on, keep on. We 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 here in class. We are the Rumble to Justice. We're tuning yeah. in. You're listening to Think 100%, the yeah. coolest show on climate change. We have Dr. Zacoby Wilson from the University of Maryland in the studio yes. breaking it down right now. I like what I'm saying. I'm waking myself up. Let's go. Let's go. So you think about children, right? I always like to tell people, how can you put America first if you ain't putting your kids first? Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Say that again. Say how that can again. you put America right, first if you're not putting your kids first? Let's go back to Flint. All those young people who were exposed to contaminated water, lead. Lead is a neurocognitive and neurobehavioral toxin. Let me break that down. Lead crosses your blood-brain barrier. Lead impacts developing your brain. Lead can impact your IQ. Lead can impact your growth. Lead impacts your capacity to learn. Lead impacts you across your entire life. So basically, when you're exposed to lead, you're putting a cap on potential. Mm. We, we're throwing away black kids in urban communities. We're throwing away poor kids in urban communities. We're throwing away Latino kids in urban communities exposed to lead. That's environmental injustice. That's right. Right? That's environmental justice. So our future... Our children who live in those environments exposed to lead, not just to drinking water, lead-based paint, that's a big issue. You got kids right now dealing with lead crisis in East Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Indiana. You got the lead crisis in Flint. You got a lead crisis in Philadelphia. Lead is a problem across the country, and that's an environmental justice issue. And you think about lead. You think about our kids. You got, why is it so, such a problem for kids? Well, you know, they're small. They, have a, they breathe in more air than adults do, Right? They got the hand mouth. You know, kids are crawling, right? They can put things in their mouth. They also, the lungs are still developing. Their immune system is still developing. They can't fight those exposures like adults can. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the brain, children's brains, uh, it, it's so, they're so vulnerable at that age. So we have to fight against lead exposures, right? We have to fight against lead exposures. And so I think that's an important issue when you think about environmental injustice. What does it do? It's killing our communities. It's killing our future. And that's what I mean by environmental slavery. You got people whose bodies are being used as sinks for pollution, and then the com- people get trapped in those communities. They get trapped because of segregation, economic segregation. They get trapped because of racial segregation. Let's think about, I mean, talk about segregation. Mm-hmm. Segregation is the driver of environmental justice. Segregation, what does it do? It concentrates economic risks. It concentrates social risks. It concentrates environmental risks. Concentrates health risks, right? And then how do we get segregation? Through a lot of our policies. Come on now. Right? Mm-hmm. Housing policies. Some stuff historical, but we got stuff that's going on today. You get about 
the new community we're trying to build, we're talking we want to do revitalization. Some of our communities were never vitalized. Come on now. Right? Some were never vitalized. But when you do revitalization, if the people who've been living in those communities long term don't benefit from it, if, you get, if they get priced on displaced, that is environmental injustice. Right? That is environmental injustice. So you got communities going through that right now in D.C. Mm. You got communities going through that in Baltimore being pushed out. You got residents being pushed out. You got other parts of the country, being, people being pushed out. That is environmental injustice. So one hand, you got segregation, which is exclusionary. We're going to exclude y'all. We don't want y'all. Mm-hmm. And then you got, you know, gentrification. Mm-hmm. We're going to kick y'all out. And the same people were excluded and the same people were kicked out. They're the same folks, black folks, low-income folks, Latinos being kicked out, and other people of color who have been kicked out. And you see this happen with immigrant populations, too, being priced out and being kicked out. And so when you think about segregation, how does it happen? Power privilege and isms are embedded in how we zone plan and develop i'm gonna say it again power privilege and isms are embedded in how we zone plan and develop so you got a community we want to do some boutique shops some high-rise buildings who benefits from that who benefits from that oh we want to build a new factory in the community that's going to release toxicants because we need jobs so a lot of times these issues happen because a politician, and let me say this real quick. I love politicians out there, so don't, those of you who, I, who know me, don't take this, don't be offended by this. But no politician goes to politician school. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. No politician goes to politician school. So why I say that is, it's important for, for people that we elect to have an agenda based on the community's needs. So a lot of times the issue is economic development, right? That's the issue. But what happens is, while you bring in these, what I call, this is my scientific term, why are you bringing these crap jobs mm-hmm. to our communities, mm-hmm. right? And many times we bring in these toxic factories, toxic facilities, and a lot of the jobs are short-term construction jobs, right? The jobs that are left are not that many jobs, and many people who have those jobs don't even live in the community. So what happens is you host a factory, you host an incinerator, you host a landfill, you host a paper mill, you host a concrete batching plant, the concrete block plant, you host the gas fire plant, you host the, another type of facility, but you get none of the benefits of mm. it. Mm-hmm. And no taxes in many instances. And no taxes. So that's an, another example of environmental slavery. You host it and get none of the benefits. You get you internalize all the externalities, and both the environmental pro- and social. Yeah. And, and you get the pollution that's there. So, man, I, I want to say this. What you just heard, man, is Dr. Sokobi Wilson and... We're going to do this because this is such an important piece that when we can't contain all the information, so we're going to have to film folks like Doc, and, and we're going to be able to go to think100.info to see clips of people. We can't contain all of it at this time. If you have questions right now, you can definitely do hashtag think100 um, and ask those questions. Doc, i got to make sure you got to get two things in here. Mm-hmm. One, there is a symposium coming up. I need you to let the folks know because I think people need to be able to to go there and two seventeen for seventeen. Mm-hmm. So I need I need I need to make sure those two things get in so folks can hear you around the country, but definitely in this region to hear what's going on. So first thing, the the symposium this weekend, and then also seventeen for seventeen. Okay, so we have a symposium uh, on May twelfth. The, it's the fourth symposium on environmental justice and health disparities. So the whole idea is to bring people together from the D.C. region, uh, community members, advocates, practitioners, uh, lawyers, academics, 
to come up with solutions uh, for communities impacted by environmental injustice. So we'll have uh, residents and leaders coming coming from communities dealing with concrete batching plants uh, in uh, Bladensburg. We'll have folks who, who are dealing with uh, pollution issues, cumulative impacts, pollution and hazards in Baltimore, like the Curtis Bay community, Destiny Watford, for your voice. We have folks who are dealing with uh, the uh, fossil fuels by train issue. We have people dealing with uh, the incinerator coming in town as well. We have residents coming from Delaware and the Eastern Shore of Maryland dealing with chicken farms. We're going to have folks who are dealing with issues around uh, natural gas. We we banned fracking in Maryland, but we didn't ban frack gas, y'all. That's right. We still mm. got so people are dealing with potential pipelines, the uh, liquefied natural gas facility where we're basically liquefied natural gas in Cold Point. We also have folks who are dealing with pollution issues, uh, fossil fuel plants, and Brandywine. So that issue will be uplifted at at the at the event. And if folks want to come to symposium, where can they find out about that? So if you want to learn more about symposium, register. You can go to www.sph.umd.edu backslash events. One more time for people. www.sph.umd.edu backslash events to register. And then real quick for folks, and let me go and pass them over this again, the website for 17 for 17. What's that? So the the organization uh, 17 for Peace and Justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 17 for Peace and Justice is an organization that we founded uh, on campus to have students get engaged in environmental justice issues. We have a lot of students working on sustainability issues, but we didn't really see student organizations that focus on environmental justice. So the whole idea is the 17 for Peace and Justice, the 17 principles of environmental justice. So we are strict constitutionalists. When it comes to environmental Come justice, on now. you got to be about EJ. What? EJ is not for play. This is no full stuff. This Come is for real, real life. So we're talking about how do we empower people <laughs> through the environmental justice movement. Well, I mean, I just use the word empower. I didn't say empower. How can we use science, students, and activism to help people connect to the power that they already have? So the whole idea behind 70 Freeze and Justice is to make sure we bring in science to community organizing and civic engagement for action. You know, we want to make sure we have this is really about science for the people. And, and this at the symposium is all about how do we make sure people can be citizen science. So they have the power to use that data for real change. A lot of decisions are being made in Prince George's County and D.C. across the country where people who are most impacted are not at the table and decisions not based on science. And our laws are not good enough to protect the most vulnerable and the most susceptible populations in the U.S. Well, you heard there, folks, man. Man, Mustafa, this was an amazing show. Woo! Mm-hmm. Man, you have just tuned in to fire here today with Dr. Sokobi Wilson. Thank you, my brother, Thank for being you. a part of this show. Thank you, Mustafa. As always, good, good. Dr. Ali uh, coming up here pretty soon. You have been listening and tuning in to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. Please stay tuned and follow us online at think100.info and online at Think 100 Show on Twitter. Thanks for joining us this week on Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, a hip-hop caucus platform. Let's keep this important dialogue going. Be a part of the conversation by following us on social media at Think 100 Show and at Hip Hop Caucus. Visit our website at think100.info for blog content, information on upcoming events, or to connect with us. 
If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever podcasts are available so you'll never miss an episode. Rate and review us or simply tell a friend. Climate change impacts all of us. And if we think 100%, we can achieve a 100% sustainable and just world together. Think 100, think 100, think 100.